Welcome to the Legit Lady Podcast, where we feature women who are nailing it in life. Hey, Legit Ladies. Welcome to the Legit Lady Podcast, where we're creating a platform for impressive women to inspire the world. So what's top of mind for me right now, and I know a lot of people, is voting. So here in Toronto, where I am, we have a municipal election coming up on October 22nd, and this time it's real. (laughs) So for those of you who don't know, our premier, who's very problematic, uh, actually cut the number of wards down almost in half, so from 47 wards in the city of Toronto down to only 25. And this is really, really nuts because the Superior Court of Justice actually said no to this happening, and our premier reinstated something called Bill 5, the Better Local Government Act, to pretty much just push his agenda through. And this is really challenging because... Toronto is very dense, as many of you might know. It's a big metropolitan city. And what this does is it's now just creating twice the amount of work for all these city councillors, which isn't the only thing. It just means that they're now representing a disproportionately large amount of people in comparison to other areas that might be outside of the city or any other local city councillor, local government um, in North America. So this is hard because it's going to make what they want to do to obviously press positive change more difficult since they have so many more people that they have to represent. But I know on the flip side, a lot of people who criticize, they say, oh, well, it's great. We were paying way too many people too much money. But this was severe. And what's happened as a result is actually it's now pitting incumbent councillors against each other. So even if you had two really progressive city councillors who were maybe responsible for areas right next to each other, now they just have to battle it out against each other for one almighty person. So uh, that's why this election is really, really important. And we also, uh, for our local mayor in Toronto, We have a pretty hot and interesting race. So we have a guy, John Tory, who's been around for quite some time, who also has some questionable decisions that he's made and a lot of questionable people who support him and has had a bit of a knack for isolating individuals who don't support his ideas. Where have we heard this before? (laughs) But the main opponent that he has is Jennifer Keysmat. She's been city planner for City of Toronto and is a woman. Lots of other progressive, interesting characters as well. But in this race, we know that if someone's going to unseat John Tory, it's going to be Jennifer. So what I recommend is each and every single person who's eligible to vote to make sure you do so. And if you care about what's happening in your community, in your city, especially if you live in Toronto, is to make sure that you embrace your ballot. And if you aren't able to cast your ballot on voting day, make sure that you appoint 
another eligible elector to vote on your behalf. So this is my huge PSA for you to do that coming up October 22nd in Toronto. And especially for my very progressive, lovely people that are listening to this podcast, please make sure that you, your family, and your friends uh, are doing your civic duty. And to our friends who are south of the border, November 6th is your time to shine. So that's obviously your midterm election where all 435 seats in the United States House of Representatives and 35 of the 100 Senate seats will be contested along with local elections. And as we know, even being your neighbors to the north, we know that there's a lot of crazy stuff happening. So I'll say it again, your ballot is your biggest superpower that you have. Your ballot is your weapon of choice and should be. And so it's going to be more important than ever, especially with all of this crazy stuff that's happening in our world, to make a direct impact. And especially if you have a little bit of time um, in your whatever government you're interested in, uh, before you cast your vote, you actually have a great opportunity to go out, help canvas with people and for people who you believe in. Highly recommend you lean into doing that as well. And in general, with a lot of these elections that are coming up, please be extra critical of where your information comes from. So, We have heard about all of the very problematic things that were happening around the last presidential election of who was getting promoted by what and where their information was coming from and which countries might be interfering with where that information is coming from. But in general, even on a local level, it's really nice and dandy to hear when people say what you want to hear or what they think you want to hear. Hey, let's cut taxes and let's give you money. Let's do all this stuff. But make sure that if there are some of these claims that are being made, that there's actually some reasonable plan to achieve those goals and those actions that will achieve those goals aren't actually going to, say, cost you more money in the long term or screw over a lot of other people in your life, like marginalized communities, like your parents, like yourself, like your family, like your sons and daughters, et cetera, in the process. So be critical of what these people are saying. Just because it sounds nice doesn't mean it's within reality. And exercise your right to vote. Cannot stress this enough. And I was actually out canvassing for a local city councilor recently and spoke to a lot of people, even closer to senior citizens, a lot of people of various generations who say, oh, I'm not planning to vote. And so if this sounds like anyone in your life, please be a challenger. Ask them why and also share why it is more important than it ever was before because their vote makes a difference and the people whom are most problematic in this world are really banking on that apathy of people who are the biggest strength of change. So our guest today, certainly speaking within the realm of advocacy of getting shit done. So we have an amazing woman. Her name is Solana Kane. And she is not only a photojournalist and writer, she's also a strong community organizer and is in training to be a doula and childbirth superwoman. (laughs) And she's done a ton of incredible work 
a ton of great advocacy and activism to support women who are part of marginalized communities as well. And I am so pleased and so excited to introduce her. So our legit lady today is Solana Kane and can't wait to share our interview with you. Solana, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to have you. I've been so excited to have you on board as soon as I came up with this crazy, wonderful podcast idea. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here and to chat with you. It's been a while. It, it has been a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I uh, We got together for a fun photo project a little while back. and Like seven years, maybe? Yeah. Couple years maybe. ago, at least maybe seven, <laughs> maybe seven. Time is flying. Yep, yep, yep. And we went to high school together. So, yes. gosh, how time flies! <laughs> it does. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, we're gonna get to know you through ten questions, and I'm okay. sure a whole heck of a lot more. So, to kick things off, question one: What advice would you give to your teenage self? Ooh. Um, I think to wonder more, explore more, you know, try things out, uh, take more chances. Um, last year, I submitted to some indigenous uh, cultural training and we went over the medicine wheel. And the medicine wheel could be used in uh, different aspects of life. It can be applied to uh, uh, different things. And uh, when the medicine wheel is used to describe stages of life, so childhood, youth, adulthood, and elderhood. Um, I found that most uh, appealing when I learned about that. And they talk about how uh, youth, youth are meant to wonder, they're meant to explore, they're meant to be on this pathway of constantly finding out things about themselves so that when they transition to adulthood, there isn't as much exploring, right? They're more focused. And when uh, Indigenous folks are in that youth stage, you know, their elders, adults are supposed to encourage that wondering and searching. So I thought that was really beautiful. And I definitely think I didn't do enough of that when I was um, an adolescent. And that might be why in my adulthood I'm all over the place. And yeah, so I think what I would say to my younger teenage self is just you know, don't get stuck down to anything. Take that gap year, explore it, figure it out a little more what interests you. Right. And that's so beautiful. I think many of us can get stuck on a path that's quite linear based on what we think people should be doing. And so yeah, what, what kept you on that less wandering path, on that straight, narrow, hey, here's how um, you should be doing stuff? I mean, my mother, simply put, you know, immigrant mother uh, from Jamaica, you know, there were things that had to be done and going to post-secondary school straight out of high school was definitely one. And, you know, I can remember applying to just York, Ryerson and U of T doing it so last minute. I was like so against it. But, you know, she sat me down and said, no child of mine is it going straight to university and, you know, my right. first year, I, I was undeclared. I did, I failed everything. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> fail. I came close, like C's and D's. Um, but yeah, my first year of university was rough. And then I switched into journalism and kind of like found my way. But I definitely was living up to my mother, my community's sort of 
what they believe was the right path for a young a young woman. Right. So, I mean, it was out of love. Yes, yeah. completely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love my mother. But, yeah. you know, I would, <laughs> we come from different generations. Of course. Yeah. Now, I empathize. I'm, I'm raised by a Jewish family. So, you know, if you're not a doctor, you're not a lawyer, you're not an accountant, then... <laughs> what are you? So where's the stable, <laughs> high-paying job out of yes. that? <laughs> so I don't blame you. And, uh, and so you mentioned being drawn to indigenous culture. What exposed you to that in the first place? Um, I mean, that's, that's a, like, I'm Canadian. I'm a settler on stolen land. I, I've always been aware of that. And I think when I got into university, realizing that a lot of Canadians are not aware of this country's history. And furthermore, when we celebrated, you know, 150th birthday of this country, um, you know, I was drawn to the indigenous perspectives that called out that it was 150 years of genocide, 150 years of resistance, 150 mm -hmm. years of, you know, uh, fighting for justice, for equal rights, um, for acknowledgement of whose land this is. So I definitely, within me, as I've grown up, have known that, you know, I need to walk the path of reconciliation, just didn't know how. And I would say in the last five years, there's been so many outlets that are very accessible to Canadians, to settlers, um, and I just took advantage of them. A great one was uh, Bear Standing Tall, which was located in uh, Daniel Spectrum Regent Park. They offered uh, corporate cultural sensitivity training. I did it every Friday for like a month. It was cool. incredible. Like, you know, there, there are some teachers within the TDSB, uh, within post-secondary uh, school system in our city that definitely are teaching the real history and are about, um, you know, teaching Indigenous philosophy, but you have to seek out Indigenous people and learn from them and submit yourself to that, to them, to their teachings. That's incredible. Yeah. It, and the reason why I ask is, I mean, I know myself, I didn't really learn too much growing up in the public school system about Indigenous culture. I mean, not much beyond very superficial level stuff, and I'm sure probably pretty bastardized education through the mouths of mm -hmm. non I mean, we had people. the same history teacher probably in high school, yep. <laughs> and I can remember him saying, you know, um, Indigenous folks were, were drunk all the time, and that's why they signed the treaty. Oh, and, like, my mother had definitely... Ugh taught me enough that I raised my hand and was like, you can't say that. And of course, you know, be quiet, like Solana, nobody asked you, but you know, I, I made it known that you cannot say that. Yep. Um, Good for you. Standing up, even from high school. That's powerful. Yeah. Yes. I, I learned that from my mama too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks mom. <laughs> yes. Thank you. That's incredible. And journalism. So you mentioned this was something that you started pursuing in school. And did that thread continue? Yeah, well, I when I left the uh, journalism program at Ryerson University, I went on to Loyalist College to study photojournalism intensively. Uh, Loyalist College is located in Belleville, Ontario, 45 minutes east, right before Kingston. There <laughs> is a wonderful town out there called Belleville. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it, it was a great, a great program, great school, great town. I mean, the whole 
city of Belleville like knew about Loyalist College and knew about the photojournalism program. So we got a lot of opportunity there to go into people's businesses, into people's homes. Everybody was more than willing to allow us to, uh, you know, share their stories. And that idea of storytelling was something that had always been within me. Like growing up, I was the best liar around. <laughs> You know, I always had a story for why something wasn't done. Um, and then in high school, I, I majored in drama. I went to Etobicoke School of the Arts and was a drama major for four years. Um, and then, yeah, then I went to university and I wasn't sure my first year what to do. And I just went back to my roots, which was storytelling. And I decided, let's apply for the journalism program. And my portfolio was all made up stories, but I got in. <laughs> And then I just realized that I really liked this um, further amplifying other people's stories using uh, visual skills like photography to tell stories. And, um, you know, we're definitely more of a visual society. So stories, uh, stories with visuals come across much easier. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so... I've always I've always been looking for the most effective ways I think to tell stories. Amazing. Yeah. And especially now when it seems like there are many outlets and many people whom are trying to either bias storytelling or perhaps try to oh maybe quiet some of the stories that are yes. coming out. How do you combat that? How do you still forge forward to tell stories that need to be told or should be told? I think you just keep telling them. Even if your audience is one person, you just keep telling them because if I tell you, mm -hmm. you're someone else who can further that story along. You know, if there's two people sitting there, now I've got two stories because everybody interprets things a little differently, but, you know, they'll go forward and share them. Um, there was, there was an interesting movement that tried to happen with this whole Kavanaugh Supreme Court thing that went down. Mm -hmm. um, it was like a blackout for women on social media, and they wanted women on Facebook to change their profile pictures to black. Mm -hmm. It was going to be like, you know, it was supposed to simulate a world with no women. I was deeply opposed to that simply because we need to be more vocal now than ever. Yep. Like, even if you feel like no one's listening, there might be one person that you break through and they change their minds that they think about things a little differently. So, you know, there's there's always been people speaking out, um, speaking out and, and meeting opposition, meeting critique, meeting, um, meeting scrutiny. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think, you know, now is, is, I don't think that what we are experiencing now is any different than what has happened in different times through different movements. Mm -hmm. I think if anything, you know, social media makes it much more pervasive when someone says something uh, like I'm speaking about Trump, when he says something about, um, you know, a group of people or a particular person and, mm -hmm. and tries to silence them. I think it gets across louder, mm -hmm. but the need to still speak out, like we can't lose that. Yeah. And I would say that's, a big piece of why we wanted to create this podcast as a place to allow voice to powerful, incredible women. And it's funny that you mentioned that social media blackout, because I even saw in my own newsfeed 
a lot of women against women putting each other down for the way in which they decide to protest and decide to either exercise that voice or exercise their right to whatever interpretation of protest that is. And it was funny. So at the end of it all, it just seemed like this movement created more infighting between women as opposed to fulfilling the vision that it had in the first place. Unfortunately, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, (laughs) I went to a talk with Roxane Gay, incredible writer, and, you know, she she rightly so identified that feminism is one of those movements that has the most internal uh, friction, the most. We critique women, critique the movement so much as opposed to mm-hmm. uplifting, supporting, uh, partnering. I find we love to point and say, like, your feminism isn't right. And there is definitely, like, white feminism that needs to be called out. Mm-hmm. But I think... You know, we need to be a little stronger when it comes to um, uh, feminism. Right. You know, I think that we we allow ourselves to be divided a little too easily. And, uh, you know, we need to realize that every every woman or person involved in feminism is coming from a different social location. They have experienced different things and that um, helps to color their opinions. And there are definitely times where we need to, uh, you know, try to go uh, unpack that a bit, unpack what has drawn someone to this particular opinion, mm-hmm. but we need to do so in a productive way because mm-hmm. then it becomes so easy for people on the outside of feminism who aren't practicing feminism, don't believe in it to then say like, oh, they're hysterical. Yeah. Drama. Exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> they're so anti-men. They're exactly. not doing anything to help anyone. And exactly. they're just poking at each other and all that. It's it's unproductive. You're right. Yes. And so when you mention white feminism, would you mind telling us a little bit more about what that means to you, just for people who aren't familiar with that term? Um, I'm no expert, but what it means <laughs> to me, I think definitely is um, black women and other women of color and um, I would say trans women too have been excluded uh, from the conversation uh, historically. And at this point in time, you know, women of color, trans women, uh, we are here, we have a voice, we're saying something, and you need to include that within the larger practice of feminism because we belong. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think at times the majority. Uh, you know, their their opinions, their thoughts get voiced more, get heard more. And that would be Caucasian women within feminism. And yeah, I think at times Caucasian women need to, you know, realize how much space they're taking up, realize if they could use their privilege to help leverage other women. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And uh I see it as really important to be able to help define that because many women, especially amazing, incredible women who are listening to this podcast, might realize that some of the things that they're doing and saying still has some deeply entrenched, either conscious or unconscious bias, and especially to other communities of other women who might be people of color, might be trans, might be uh, LGBTQ, et cetera, 
they don't realize that what they're doing and saying might be either actively or maybe not so actively marginalizing these people further, even though we are technically part of the same group and should be standing together. So I wanted to bring up one quick thing, because you mentioned how important it is to have that strong voice and continue to rise up. And I know you've been actually partnering with another very impressive woman uh, about an issue around the Etobicoke School of the Arts. Would you mind sharing a little bit about what's been happening there and what you've been doing? Because I have been so, so impressed with how both of you have had the grace and poise and ferocity to tackle this particular issue. Well, there's three of us now. Oh, wow. Uh, we have, yes, Miranda, Miranda Hassel has uh, come on board to help us with a lot of the organizing. Uh, but yeah, so the high school that I went to and that Julie went to as well, sure it's a school of the arts, um, an incident happened with the principal. The principal's no longer there. Uh, she has been transferred. But basically, this principal created a list of students that she believed needed extra support in order to close some achievement gaps. Uh, the thing is, is that this list was comprised entirely of black students. Um, I, I have found out recently that it's more appropriate to call the list a non-white list because not everybody on that list might identify as black. Uh, South Asian people, for one. Um, so yes, she comprised a list of all children of color. She shared this list with teachers. Um, you know, she went through a yearbook. She pulled out photos of these students and put their photos beside their names. She didn't speak with these students. She didn't look at um, their academic record at ESA or before. And to get into Etobicoke School of the Arts, which I'm also referring to as ESA, um, you need to audition and you need to have a good average. So these children already uh, were overachievers. So she took this list, she sent it via email out to the teachers. Uh, some teachers, rightly so, emailed back and said, you know, this is not appropriate. Uh, within hours, she retracted the list, but it still happened. It was never it was never brought up again until a teacher leaked it and showed one of the students because they had been having some other issues with this principal around Black History Month assembly and, um, you know, that kind of equity equity. Um, policies and uh yeah and in those types of issues I totally get it exactly so um so yeah so a student saw it the students you know uh raised their voice said this is not okay how could this have and the students saw it months after it occurred so the students then tried to speak with the superintendent, tried to, uh, they want an apology from the principal. The principal would not give them an apology. What? Yeah. Wait, so how ridiculous is the situation yes, where very. your student body is calling you out, you, the principal of a school who have hypothetically been involved in education for quite some time yes. for behavior that doesn't only tread a line, but it really does pole vault over that line. Completely. Completely. <sighs> refuse to take any kind of accountability, refuse wow. to, you know, acknowledge the the severe harm that she could have done. This is supposed to be a safe environment. You're not supposed to have your name 
on a list simply because of the color of your skin um, and told that you need extra support. You know, so a, a meeting happened in June uh, and this meeting, you know, was called by the students, but it was organized, I believe, by the superintendent um, at this meeting. The principal, her name is Peggy Atchison. She tried to apologize by referencing that she has two black friends, so oh, she couldn't no. really be a racist. Oh. It's outrageous. And, you know, at this meeting, it was revealed that the former school she was at, Force Hill, she did the same thing with the Filipino students. She tried to, quote unquote, save them. Because at the end of the day, this woman believes that she did something good. Like, she does not understand how her actions were discriminatory. She truly believes that she was trying to help the poor, dumb black kids. Like, that's how she sees it in her mind. And because TDSB transferred her without without, you know, publicly submitting her to some training or publicly really calling out what she did, because yes, they've said it was a mistake and it shouldn't happen, but they have not said that this is discrimination. This is racism. They have not said that. They just said it was a mistake. Wow. Yeah. That is that is textbook. Exactly. And, and the fact that she used the I have black friends excuse. Completely. Is downright sickening. Um, do we know where she's gone since? No. And I do not believe she's at a school at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Hopefully never. Yeah. I, I believe she's still <laughs> an employee of the TDSB, though. Um, you know, so what? When, when I heard about this, I was, I was not in Toronto. It was texted to me. I was like, this can't be my school. No way. No how. Yeah. You know, I have... I have recommended tons of uh, children of color to go to ESA, Mm -hmm. and it's quite sickening to think that someone that I told to go that they would have a great experience, you know, ended up on her list simply because they were black. Like, that is something that I could not, um, I could not leave alone. I could not, like, let it go um, unnoticed. So uh, I got together with Taylor, Taylor Nels McGee, and uh, Miranda Hassel is now organizing with us as well. And um, we sent an email out to alumni. We were able to get a hold of 300 alumni who wanted their name to be put on our letter of petition. Mm -hmm. We had very reasonable demands. Number one was individual apologies to the students demonstrating that you understand what you did. Number two was uh, because Peggy is being transferred, you know, the new principal that's coming into ESA, that needs to be more of an inclusive hiring process because the same people that hired Peggy are going to be hiring someone new. And clearly they cannot, you know, do that alone. Tone deaf. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And then the last one was about support, support for students of color, specifically black students returning to ESA. You cannot act like this is just, you know, business as usual. Nothing happened. Everybody come to class and pretend like you're na- you weren't on a list because it was not just grade 12 students. Like there are students that were on her list that are still at the school and they know that their teacher saw this list and didn't do anything. And I seem to remember from the coverage was that the irony was many of these students on this list 
were high performing, incredible yes. contributors yes. to this school. And this school isn't even just a normal school, which wouldn't make it anywhere near acceptable, but it is a performing arts high school where you turn over your shoulder and there's people prancing around and leotards and singing and playing guitar in the hall. I mean, it's a place that's foundation is built on it being inclusive and supportive and allows your flag to fly proudly, whatever that might be about your identity, whether it be gender, race, socioeconomic status, et cetera. It was an audition school, but it's a public school. Yeah, right. it is. I mean, I will say it is not the most diverse of public schools. Like there's been a lot of, um, uh, information reports released about how these art schools are not as diverse as they could be. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're going to work on that. My my group and I, <laughs> we've got some ideas for how to address that diversity issue within ESA. Good for you. But um, yeah, this this definitely, and I do think art schools have this very liberal, inclusive, um, accepting persona. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, ESA is like other TDSB schools where these incidents of racism happen and they happen often and they go unchecked. Uh, within this process, I found out that the TDSB does not have, does not track incidents of racism, does not have like a procedure for tracking them. Each wow. school does their own thing. And it's like... That seems flawed. <laughs> right? <laughs> A lot of things have come to light within just trying to get some basics in regards to this restorative process at ESA, trying to get that underway properly. Uh, A lot of things have come to light about what goes on in the TDSB that is is quite concerning. Um, Yeah, but yeah. That's... (laughs) Wow, that's incredible work that the three of you are are doing. I mean, there are organizations that have that are definitely doing a lot more work than we are doing and have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, even an organization like Black Lives Matter Toronto getting the police officer resource program out of school because cops following kids around, you know, every every student has a different reaction to that based on. Um, their environment, their community. Mm -hmm. So for some students, it's no big deal to have cops in uniforms all over the school. For other students, it is a big deal because their interactions with cops is not not friendly, is not safe, is not uh, producing of of an environment where they can thrive in. So Mm -hmm. getting those police officers out of schools was huge. And Black Lives Matter did that. Wow. So, yeah, we want to partner with organizations that are, are, are working within the TDSB or working to address issues within the TDSB when it comes to equity and um, ensuring that every student really has a safe environment in order to reach their academic potential. That's incredible. And I think all of you and all of these organizations that are doing this work deserve a lot of praise. And now I know this work doesn't come without a lot of criticism, especially from people whom are either quite privileged or not fully informed. But uh, just thinking about you trying to simply go and learn and do what you need to do, but you are being followed by someone with a gun or someone who might have some conscious or unconscious bias against you. And that micromanagement is just 
saddening. You are a kid. You're mm-hmm. trying to just move through your day mm-hmm. and do your best and not being able to be set up for that success is, is terrifying. So incredible work. Please keep it up. Fully support everything that you're doing. And if there's anything else any of us can do to support, please do let us know. Um, but with that, I want to be conscious of all these questions that we have to get through. <laughs> Here we are talking about all these heavy hitting issues. It's great. Getting sidetracked. I know, <laughs> but it's great. It's great. It's so important. And I'm really happy that you're sharing that. Thank you. <laughs> so question two, Solana, what's your proudest accomplishment? <laughs> um, so I created this mummy booklet. It's a, a resource filled booklet. Um, for mothers about, you know, where you could get diapers for free, how to access food banks, how to uh, sign up for daycare subsidy, um, you know, library programming, mummy and me groups, that kind of information. Um, so that would be my proudest accomplishment. I will tell you the backstory of how I, how and why I created this. That's so cool. Yes, please. So when I got back to Toronto, I, from Loyalist College, I went to Sudbury to do an internship at the Sudbury Star. Then I came back and was freelancing. And, you know, I got to talk about my mother again. She couldn't understand what I was doing, what my path was. <laughs> You're going to take photos for a living? That's not going to pay anything. <laughs> so um, she works in child care. She works for an organization called Child Development Institute. And they received a call out from an organization called Barbara Schleifer Clinic, which helps uh, women live lives free from violence. So domestic violence type situations. Um Yeah, they wanted to start a parent relief program and needed someone part-time to just like watch the kids while moms got different services at the organization. So of course my mother, oh yeah, my daughter can do it. She's not doing anything. (laughs) I was like, well, I am. (laughs) Thanks, mom. (laughs) Right? Okay, let me go see what this is about. And, um, you know, I, I was hired in March 2015 and I was there until March 2018. I did not plan on staying that long, but the work was incredible. So the clinic is located at Batherson College. It provides free legal and free counseling to women that have experienced violence. Um, But obviously, if you're a mother and you have a young child, it's an obstacle to get services if you do not have affordable and safe childcare. And a lot of the clients at Barbara Schleifer might not be... um, you know, Canadian citizens. Mm-hmm. So, and they, they, they've come, they have come to Toronto from um, far places and might not have that much family around. So, you know, childcare was an issue and a lot of women were missing appointments due to childcare. So the clinic rightly so realized, okay, we need to have childcare on site so mom can come with her child and she doesn't have to worry about anything. Because right. even if she does find childcare, she might spend the whole appointment just worrying about whether her child is safe, mm-hmm. you know, because it might not be um, the most appropriate childcare. So anyways, <laughs> while I was in this position, um, You know, I noticed that moms were asking me questions about things like they didn't know how to access free dental clinics in Toronto. They didn't know how to, um, you know, things that they could do with their child that didn't cost a lot, uh, just exposing them to culture or different activities that go on in the city. So I started jotting things down and then, you know, I was like, let's just make a resource booklet. And the printing house, I sent them a couple pages of the booklet. They uh, decided to donate some 
printing house dollars to me and I got to Amazing. print the book for free. And I, I left some in our reception area. I brought some to different shelters and, and programs throughout the clinic. I mean, throughout the city. And it definitely is a resource booklet for mothers parenting during or after abuse. Um, I, I mean to say that, you know, they're rebuilding their lives and mm -hmm. they need support. And, uh, you know, there are there are so many supports within the city, but at times it's hard to know about them and to find them all, especially when you are living through something difficult. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't want to be like the keeper of all this information where moms had to keep calling me. I just want to put it all in the book and they can take this pocket sized book, throw it in their diaper bag or whatever. Yeah. And they just have this information at their fingertips and they could also share it with other women too. So I think that's my proudest accomplishment. You know, my, my supervisor at the time didn't think that that was the best use of my time and so I had to do it in my spare time but in was the that end supervisor uh, uh was it a woman yeah, or was, yeah, really it was a woman it was a woman oh no it was a woman oh. um, everyone that works at Barbara Schleifer Clinic is a woman um okay. but yeah I mean you know when when you have a bottom line or when you are faced with um I don't know. I'm, try, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to understand why she didn't think it was the best use of my time. I, I think it goes back to that almost unconscious bias of thinking outside your own means. You can literally be working in a place where the whole vision and mission is to support women, but unfortunately fall short-sighted to something like this, which at least in my mind is an incredibly scalable, helpful thing mm -hmm. that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So... That is one heck of an accomplishment. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. That's amazing. Thank and you. Very proud of that. Is there a, an online version for people who have access? There is not. Okay. But I do have one copy left, and I have been <laughs> meaning to scan it and put it online. But of course, the information is always changing. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I should put it online. And when it is online, it will be at my website, solanacane.com. Ooh, nice <laughs> plug. Love <Thank> it. <laughs> Very cool. All right, question three. How do you balance work and life? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed when I saw this question because that's one thing that I'm definitely working on. Um yeah, I have a lot of regrets in terms of work and personal life. And it's due to the fact that I just didn't balance and say like, you know, I'm working on something right now. I, I like, can you come back to me in a week? Or, you know, it's 9 p.m. I'm done working. I have to go do this thing now. Um, I'm very bad at balance. Um, yeah, I'm not going to lie. But I also feel like I have so much energy in me at times. And like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Like, let's just do everything now, be involved in everything, and I'll figure out that balance thing later. <laughs> I find myself telling my my own self those same words, and then I'm, like, completely burnt out and unable to function. <laughs> and it's hard to recognize when you're burnt out. Like, yeah. I only realize that I've been burnt out, like, looking back at situations. And mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, you hadn't slept for days. You hadn't eaten. You were doing a million things. And then you got into this big fight with someone 
Yeah. You should have recognized what was going on. Yeah, I, I think burnout and denial are so closely linked together that it's it's very real. <laughs> so have you felt like you've gotten a little bit better at this? Or do you still feel like it's it's not a strength? Um, yes and no. Currently, I am unemployed. Like, I'm still freelancing photography, but usually I freelance and I have a part-time job. Mm -hmm. So I don't have that part-time stable job. So at this moment, I feel like, oh, I've got all the balance in the world and I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm taking care of myself. Self-care is good. It's all life. No work. <laughs> right? But I know when I get that part-time job, figure out kind of my next area, I, I don't know if I'll be as good. I find that I definitely am like a perfectionist and I really want to please everyone. And I do that at the expense of myself. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there's some causes, some people that I just, I'll say yes to everything. Yeah. When there should be a no in there probably <laughs> one time, like just once. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. It, it's, it's difficult to sometimes come to that no, especially if it's someone that you really like or you want them to like you and you think that that no is the ender of that relationship or it taints your image in their eyes when in actuality a lot of times saying that no or even not now or I'll tell you when actually raises your credibility yeah. so it's uncomfortable saying no or not now right it feels weird yeah so yeah maybe it's a thing to to practice <laughs> i think so that's that's also advice for my teenage self good like don't be don't try to please everybody yeah all I the time certainly learned that the hard way myself yes <laughs> cool all right question four can you tell us about a difficult moment in your life um i think i'm living in it currently Really? Yeah, I think it's right now. Like my later 20s, things are not as I imagined they would be in my earlier 20s or my later teens. I really thought, you know, I'd have like a career that um, was easy to point to, easy to summarize as this is what I do and mm -hmm. this is it. I thought, you know, I'd have my own address. I'm back living with my mother. I thought um, I'd have a partner, be in a really committed, stable relationship. That didn't work out. Mm -hmm. um, I think, and I don't know if it's just specific to Toronto. I don't think so, but uh, like I, I just can speak about what I know. But living in Toronto, there are times when I don't feel good enough. And especially like right now, like I don't feel like I have the things that like someone facing 30 like should have like under their belt or have accomplished by now. Um, yeah. So that's interesting because a lot of the things you've shared of the these are the checkmark things that I should have at this point in my life are ones that. I could hypothetically point to and say, and I'm very grateful to have a lot of wonderful things in my life. You know, I, I live in an apartment. I have a wonderful partner, all these great things. But that feeling of not being good enough, that almost imposter syndrome, it's not mutually exclusive, right? It's, it's, mm. it's always there. And so in my eyes, the irony of your statement is the fact that I look at you as someone whom... I think has tremendous 
talent and energy and drive and you have so much going for you, regardless of some of those, I would say, superficial markers. So it's funny. that's what I keep telling myself. It's funny. They're superficial. (laughs) They are superficial. But for some reason, it's very heightened in this city. Really? Like I've lived in other like smaller towns in Ontario. Um, I just recently got back from Halifax. And I don't know if it's because this is where I'm from, mm-hmm. but I definitely feel like like the pressure's on. Mm-hmm. Like I'm turning 29 this year and I feel like, you know, it's two months till my 29th birthday plus another 12 months till the next time. So I've got 14 months till I'm 30 and I got to <laughs> do something within those 14 months. And like time is ticking. But you are. And why does it yeah. matter? I mean, it, it seems, I, I get what you're saying. I think in Toronto, especially many of us, we like to have that 30 second self pitch at a cocktail party. Of, this is who I am. This is what I've accomplished. This is where I work. And this is who I'm with. All of that stuff kind of pocketed because I do feel like there is a lot of status and race for status here in the city because it's the easiest thing to compare each other to in such a population dense area. Yeah. Girl, (laughs) you're amazing. Thank you. You are. Thank you. But yeah, I don't know. Those, I feel like I had, like that stuff didn't bother me in my early 20s, you know? Like I I was happy to be single. I was happy Mm -hmm. to be like jumping from job to job. Right. But where do you think that timeline came from? Like, hey, before I'm 30, I've got to have the, the things. Because, like, the baby thing, I'm not I'm not on board with that. Like, I don't feel like I have to have babies anytime soon. But for some reason, I feel like I need everything else. So I, I feel like it coincides with when people are talking about, like, you better have children soon. Like, your <laughs> biological clock, da-da-da. But I'm, I'm not even worried about the biological clock. I'm worried about the employment, the, you know, all the other clocks. That's so interesting. And it's funny because I feel like there's so many people who don't figure half that stuff out for most of their life. So I feel like the 30 thing is pretty self-inflicted. I think we should stop with that. Yes. (laughs) Oh, I know it is. It's it's just me, myself, and I that's Mm -hmm. putting this on me. But yeah. Stop being your harshest critic. Easier said than done. I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Fair enough. I know. I, I struggle with similar similar things. I think we all do. It's a very a very human thing, um, especially as a woman. I feel like there's an added layer there too. Yeah. But man, own your stuff. Keep doing what you're doing. And the baby thing is so funny considering what you're pursuing right now. Yes. Yes. I have... Um... I've recently done my doula training. I am not certified yet. And uh, I'm going to be doing the childbirth educators training at the end of the year. Again, another thing that I took, like I started reading a little bit about birth and the need to normalize it. And I was so like engaged. And then at when I was doing the drop-in program at Barbara Schleifer Clinic, you know, that was one area that I think we, we could have had a little more services mm-hmm. was... Um, for expecting moms. And I think also, you know, having a trauma informed, um, like childbirth, like uh, Lamaze class or, or uh, education is so needed in this city because you can, it's so easy to be triggered during childbirth. Um, 
with, you know, some sexual violence that has happened in your past. But anyways, I just, when I was in the doula program uh, or the doula training, there was just so much that I think that every young person, not even woman, uh, needs to know that we are misguided about when it comes to childbirth. Mm-hmm. But that, that's, I could spend this whole podcast talking about that. <laughs> and in a sentence or two, what is the role of a doula and why are they so important? So a doula supports mom during childbirth. Okay. You know, um, the other medical practitioners take care of the actual birthing process. Right. Whereas a doula is by mom's head. That's support for mom. Um, because so often, like, everything's happening so fast that... You know, medical, like a doula does not give any medical advice. They are not a medical practitioner at all. They're just support. Um, But yeah, so often within the hospital um, setting as well, like so many things just happen and mom is just there. No one's really talking to her. No one's making sure she's okay. And if mom is tense, if mom is nervous, that directly impacts baby. So someone needs to like be by her head, talking to her, supporting her and letting her know that this is normal. You're doing a great job. Your mm-hmm. baby's coming. Mm-hmm. Right. So you are literally the voice to and on behalf of mom. Yeah. And I think also uh, like in the in the beginning, before the actual childbirth happens, because the doula and the mom, they expect it. The birthing person. I got to watch <laughs> the birthing person. Birthing person. Cool. Um you know, there, there should be a couple of meetings before the actual birth because you also have to teach mom how to advocate mm-hmm. for themselves. Okay. Because a lot of the times in the hospitals, doctors do whatever. But if mom or birthing person can say like, no, I do not want that. We spoke about that. I'm not having that. If mm-hmm. mom is informed, knows about the things that are going to happen and, and feels empowered to speak up for herself... She can have a birthing experience that is more closely to what she wants. Amazing. Because childbirth stays with women forever. Forever. Yeah. And if I think about something that could be such a traumatic experience, although in many cases a wonderful experience or both, I mean, that is that is quintessential. So for people who decide to have a child or who end up having a child, That is a process that we've heard so much about, especially in recent years, about all the crazy stuff that can go down either during or after and many times without that person's consent Mm -hmm. and or knowledge, Mm -hmm. right? So, man, Mm -hmm. that terrifies me. So it seems like doulas are really doing it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Amazing. Well, thanks for sharing. Uh, All right. So... Question five, who or what inspires you the most? Um, grassroots community, like organizing, uh, like groups. Um, some that come off the top of my head would be like, I already mentioned them, but Black Lives Matter Toronto, I don't know more. Even some social media movements like Home to Vote, the Irish abortion referendum. Like I love these ideas of just, it starts with a tweet or it starts with a meeting in a basement. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it doesn't matter. Like you're not, these members, you know, they face so much public scrutiny or people telling them like, you know, it's not important. We don't care what you have to say. Like you don't matter. And they still stay the course and, you know, change happens. Like the home to vote. 
mm-hmm. was an incredible like you know social media campaign that I spent a whole day like reading people's like stories about why they were going home t- to Ireland to vote, why you know this mattered. Um, I just think those kind of movements, Me Too, Times Up, they're so inspiring to me because you don't need a huge backing, like financial backing. You don't need, like obviously Times Up does, but <laughs> small detail, <laughs> right? But what what social media can do when used effectively is incredible, and and that inspires me a lot. Yeah. Social media really has opened up the doors to allow for that type of collaboration and that organization. And so I think now, especially now, it is critical for us to be supportive of these movements that are empowering and giving voice to all these communities that are and have been actively oppressed for so long. Completely. And to realize that you hitting share and just sharing someone's cause to mm-hmm. your network, which, you know, might not be aware, but once they are, wants to support, mm-hmm. like that's how change starts. That's how we really can create a society that we can be proud of mm-hmm. as opposed to just, you know, sharing cat videos or whatever. Like <laughs> they have their place. They do <laughs> they, have their they place. They do have their place. <laughs> But what we get on Facebook and Twitter, like, mm-hmm. let's let's be a little more conscious about the power that we have. Mm-hmm. So on that note, mm-hmm. how do you approach trolls or active dissenters? Do you engage? Do you recommend we engage? Or is that just a futile effort? It depends. Some I have, some, some I haven't. Mm-hmm. I would say actual trolls do not engage. People who are just, you know, trying to bring down what you're doing, who are trying to change uh, the the narrative, who are trying to just inject hate into everything. And like, you know, those those kind of posts or those people, they're, they're messaging you at like 2 a.m., you know? Like it's just, it's don't even engage in mom's basement and right exactly <laughs> I haven't showered exactly. in a month <laughs> but people who who really are are don't know who really are asking a question who might be ignorant based on you know their environment how they grew up I do think that it is worth like trying to have a discussion and especially doing it on social media and being like an example for others for how to have a discussion, um, it could lead to something positive. And positive doesn't have to mean that you completely change their mind and now, you know, they're on board with everything you do. Right. But just that at the end of it, you could come to a place where you're like, okay, I, I, I hear it. I get it now. I don't know exactly if I want to support it, but at least I understand mm-hmm. something that I didn't before. Because mm-hmm. we have to be able to talk to each other. Yeah, and I remember that came up a lot, especially after, well, after Trump got voted in as an example. There was a lot of criticism of and on people who actively just block, delete, block, delete if someone disagrees with something that I'm sharing or saying. And actually ignoring the power of that open communication and dialogue into what you said, they don't have to necessarily flip over to your team or your side, but it allows that conversation to happen. And even if it's 10%, they've shifted 
from their original point of view, it's still progress. That being said, it is a lot of emotional labor at times. Yes. And, you know, sometimes you're not the person to shoulder that. Yeah. You don't always have to respond to these people right away. Mm-hmm. Like, I might take a day, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, not today. Like, yeah. <laughs> not today, no. Satan. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> but I definitely think we have to get better at speaking with people who do not agree with us. Mm-hmm. Because they're not going away. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they just, they're not going away. <laughs> yeah. And, and it seems like the more vocal we become and the greater the divide between, say, these two camps, the stronger they feel empowered to come out and then vote in these oppressive leaders and things like that. And then we end up in this very, good versus bad and he said she said us versus and no them no one listening yeah no one listening yeah. if i i if if i'm coming to the table with like you know 10 of my best friends and we're all certain about what we're saying and we've mm-hmm. never taken the time to look into another opinion or perspective and then Julie comes at me and, you know, she's got her opinion <laughs> and like, no, I'm not listening to it. Yeah. Like all my friends and I, we believe this. So yeah. I don't, you know, yep. I don't need to listen to that. Yep. So I think we need to, and I do think the media plays a role in it for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to get better at uh, showcasing, promoting, supporting uh, different perspectives. I agree. I agree. Really powerful. All right. I think we're on question six. What is the most adventurous thing you have ever done? Um, I've traveled alone often. So I think that's it. Um, When I was in my earlier 20s, I guess, I went to Prague for a photojournalism course, uh, applied for it on a whim, went by myself, and then I took an 18-hour train to London um, you know, went on to Paris. Uh, I've also traveled Ontario, small town Ontario, a lot. Amazing. Um, <laughs> and I, I've lived, I think I've moved every year since I was like 17. Like it's, it's been ridiculous. I move a lot, move by myself. I know this city very, very well. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely am, am proud of myself for for not being afraid to move on by myself to mm-hmm. try living new places uh traveling by myself uh elizabeth gilbert who's the author of big magic and eat pray love mm-hmm. in a podcast with oprah she talked about <laughs> sorry i love sunday soul <laughs> sessions with oprah Oprah, the queen. <laughs> <laughs> she talked about how, you know, hero's journey is always male. Like these stories of a protagonist receiving a call, having to go out on an adventure, meeting an enemy, having like an obstacle, then saving the day or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're always male. And so young girls, we grow up without these like female protagonists who have had a hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And so for young women, like, it's really important that we realize that we can go off and we can, you know, have our adventure and discover something about ourselves or learn about different causes and bring that back. Like, we can have heroes' journeys just like men do. Mm-hmm. 
So that was something that really resonated with me. That's actually a, a really amazing thing because I love to travel myself and I felt a similar way when I started to travel by myself too. It was a, hey, this is sort of weird and uncomfortable for me and I'm going to go forth and do it. So I know there's a lot of people out there who have never considered or thought that they could travel by themselves. So they feel very uncomfortable with the idea. What would you suggest that could help people feel a little bit more comfortable taking that plunge and taking their first trip by themselves? Um, if you're not going someplace, you know, or someplace where you have family, like I, I would hope that if, you know, you're, if you have family in another part of the world or even this country, you know, that's a great excuse to travel by yourself. Just, you know, I'm going to see my uncle, but you know, spend every day hanging by yourself and learning new things about where you're at. Mm -hmm. But, um, why not try to connect it with a course or a workshop or something where you might have the potential of making a contact while traveling or, mm -hmm. or having some portion of it be guided so that afterwards you could do something by yourself. Because definitely when I was in Europe, like the week-long photojournalism workshop was the thing that empowered me to then think, okay, well, if I'm going to be in Europe, like... I'm not just going to come home after five days. Like, let's go do something else. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, myself, as a lifelong dancer, I use dance as an excuse. I call it an excuse to travel. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, there's this random dance event happening in Portugal. Let's go there and do that. And what can blossom is this beautiful international network of friends. Exactly. So yeah. I love that. Thanks for sharing. No problem. Cool. All right. Question seven. What do you attribute your success to? And yes, you are successful. Oh, that word, that loaded <laughs> word. Okay. So I'm just going to accept because Julie said I'm successful that you are. I am. Um, I think it's about what do I attribute to? Um, I mean, when I was growing up, I got told a lot that I was too loud. Like, it got written on my report cards. Like, Solana needs to use her indoor voice. You know, I received a lot of critique on different things growing up. And I'm sure a lot of women, unfortunately, can relate to that. And um, I just knew, like, I wasn't, I wasn't going to take what anyone said about me. And furthermore, I was going to, you know, take their negative critique and use it some way, whether it's being louder, you know, being, being more of whatever... Uh, I received a critique on. Mm -hmm. And so when I think back to the mummy booklet I created, like I was told I didn't have time to do that. You know, so I was like, like, yes, I do. <laughs> this sounds familiar. Um, yeah. So I think that, you know, as, as a black woman living in Toronto, I knew that I wasn't going to let anyone tell me that I couldn't do anything. And furthermore, I wasn't going to be afraid to speak up when I saw things that were happening to other people or groups that were not okay. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my privilege is, uh, my privilege is that I'm educated. I'm a settler on this land and also that I come from a background where my parents are educated. My parents 
you know, my mother used to always be in my elementary school, so people knew not to mess with her daughter. <laughs> so I've kind of had that thing in the back of my mind, like, oh, my parents will save me. Mm-hmm. Like, I have that safety net. So I always knew, like, I'm, I cannot be afraid to do things or to, to stand up and fight for things. Mm-hmm. And um, I know it's a popular T-shirt slogan, but I truly believe it. I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. So it's like being alive today as a black woman, being able to have these opportunities and like, no, you can't tell me to be quiet. You can't tell me to go to the back of the bus. You can't tell me any of these things. Mm-hmm. And so that, having that like in the forefront of my brain, knowing, like being very aware of who I am and what I am able to do, mm-hmm. um, yeah, has made me just, I guess, be successful. <laughs> That's Incredible. I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. Completely. That that's powerful. I mean, I've never heard of that, but again, I'm I am a (laughs) white person quite privileged here in Toronto, so not surprising. But that's amazing that you've taken these these things that have been almost used against you a little bit, like, oh, she's too loud, as your superpower. Yeah. To be a voice for all of these different groups, communities, etc., even mothers seems like through your journey, this is really going to be that thread that continues and is so necessary and so valuable because many of us, again, especially as women, we have grown up having to be a little bit more subdued, not being allowed or comfortable, and we haven't figured out how to have that voice. So, yeah, man, thank you for everything that you're doing. Get louder. Yeah, (laughs) to all women out there and to all people that like – are told told something about themselves no like yeah. I, I will tell you about myself yep yeah yep and i don't think there's such a thing of oh you're to this you're to that i mean really comparison is the thief of joy right so we got to stop doing that <laughs> i know we, we got to stop doing that especially to our young yeah 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 it's true because that's the shit that takes a lot of time, effort, and therapy to get past if you end exactly. up getting past it. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Question eight. What item or items could you never live without? Ooh, that's a hard one. Because <laughs> there's so, I'm like pen, paper, camera, music, um, books. But honestly, I think, I think, like my voice. I think I could live without everything but but my voice. Like just being able to speak on things, communicate with people, bring attention to things. Like I'm just imagining if everything were to disappear from Toronto and we're left with like what we started with before, mm-hmm. you know, the city was built up, what would I still want there? I think I just want to be able to talk. That's amazing. What advice would you give to someone who feels uncomfortable either expressing their opinion or they don't know how to start branching out and sharing that voice? Because it seems like for many people, that's a huge area of discomfort. I mean, we know public speaking in general, that's an area that many people are absolutely terrified of. But I think how can we start to exercise a voice without that fear of being judged? 
I mean, I think that fear will still be there a little bit. Like I'm nervous before everything I do and I'm getting better at like people not noticing or not being aware <laughs> of it. Like, yeah, they, they don't know I'm nervous, but I'm definitely nervous before mm -hmm. every public speaking um, thing I do. I think preparation, like if I go into something and I'm not prepared, yeah, I'm going to be hella nervous and I am going to be thinking like you're not good enough or because you're not prepared. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think being prepared, I think, you know, making sure that you're being genuine or authentic, that you're not, you're not preaching something you don't believe in or mm -hmm. you don't stand by. Um, and I just think realizing that at times what you are saying like there could be so many people who are thinking that same thing and who also are afraid to say it. And so you saying it might release other people from that fear of like, you know, I'm going to be judged or I can't say this or nobody believes what I believe or, you know, like you are becoming like a beacon of hope for someone else. Mm -hmm. yeah. And not all heroes wear capes. Exactly. <laughs> and also it'll be over soon enough. Like, yep, yep. Just, just do it. It's true. It's almost that what's the worst thing that could happen exactly, from this? Right. And it's usually not ever near that bad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. All right. Uh question nine. Is there anything you'd like to promote? I know you've mentioned a couple of quick things, but lay it all out here in this part. Uh October twenty seventh, vote in the municipal election. <laughs> yep. Right? Make sure that you are registered, you're on the voters list. You can go to the City of Toronto's website to figure that out. Make sure you know your ward. Have a look at the candidates in your area. Um, I'm like Lakeshore, Etobicoke, Lakeshore, Ward 3. So Amber Morley, she's got my vote. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely vote. That's your civic duty. And after the vote, make sure that if the person that you voted for gets into office, that they... Um, do what they said they were going to do. Hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. That's very important. And then the second thing is just bear standing tall and associates. I talked about them earlier, but it's very important. Uh, they're available for corporate training in indigenous awareness and cultural sensitivity. Uh, there's also an introduction to the medicine wheel course. Um, it's really important that we all try to walk the path of reconciliation, especially in Canada. Amazing. And where can our listeners find more of your beautiful artwork and more about you? Solanakane.com. Do it. Amazing. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah. Last question to wrap everything up. Yes. What is a lesson you learned the hard way that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, nothing ever goes as planned. Stop making plans. I think live live a little bit more in, you know, the present. Um, you know, science cannot explain everything, and we have to stop trying to make it explain everything. Thinking about childbirth, you know. Um, yeah, I think that as long as we try to capture our life from like a scientific point of view or you know we try to have these kind of rigid plans about how life is supposed to go uh, something really important kind of slips through the cracks or we might miss and yeah i just think that you know be be open 
and embrace things and, and every now and then do something outside of your norm. I love that. Yeah. I, I think my personal motto is get uncomfortable and being able to explore those areas, those things, those hobbies, yeah. even groups and, and exposing yourself to communities, people that you would never have just perhaps started a conversation with before, that's your biggest opportunity yeah. for growth and to learn. And what you said about get uncomfortable, it's so important. If you are comfortable every day of your life, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> there is. Because there's so many people out here who are so very uncomfortable all the time. Mm -hmm. And for for me, for you, for anyone to be very comfortable, that's a problem. Like it shows the disparity, right? Mm -hmm. So I think like get uncomfortable and when you're uncomfortable, sit with yourself for a while, figure out why you're uncomfortable. Does the word, does talking about racism make you like, whoa, I don't wanna talk about this. Talking about transphobia, like, you know, you have to, like the body reacts to things in such interesting ways. We have to pay attention to that. And also, yeah, we just have to pay attention to it. We cannot ignore our feelings. And then, you know, if you're uncomfortable, figure out why, figure out what you can do to become more comfortable, learn how to uh, share space, create space, uh, leverage your privilege, all these type of things. Yeah. Amazing. Solana, thank you so much for being here on the Legit Lady Podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you. I think I've learned a ton today, and I think there's a ton for everyone to also learn from. So with that, thank you very much, and thank you all for listening. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for listening, everyone. Find us on Facebook at Legit Lady Podcast. That's L-E-G-I-T-L-A-D-Y Podcast. And on Instagram at Legit Lady Podcast. On Twitter at Legit Lady Pod. That's Legit Lady P-O-D. And please rate and comment on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcast. If you love what you hear, share it broadly and proudly. Thanks, everyone.